Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Yeah, thank you for my family being here and, and uh, uh, filling up the place, and uh, we appreciate you guys. Um, so I have felt that uh, God was just telling me that he really wanted us to walk through as a church the book of Romans. And I'm normally not a uh, verse-by-verse guy. Uh, I usually like, I'm kind of what they call it, topical. I'm kind of a topical preacher. I like to, you know, all right, Lord, what are you putting on my heart? And, you know, all right, I want you to talk about forgiveness. Or I want you to talk about peace or, you know, or whatnot. But I really, really felt like the Lord was saying, Matthew, I want you to walk the church through the book of Romans. And let me explain why. Our culture, I believe, is slowly eroding, okay? I believe that the sense of spirituality or, or that sense of um, right and wrong is just slowly becoming more and more gray. Uh, even if you walk up to just the average Christian and ask them what they believe, why they believe it, where do they stand on this and that, you're finding more and more, even in Christian circles, that people aren't sure, that people are confused, that they're, they're hearing there's so much out there. There's so much news and there's so much media and there's so much talking heads, as they call them, that are, are telling you what you're supposed to know. They're telling you what, you know, what you're supposed to believe is as truth. And there's so much opinion out there. How do you know? How do you know? And, and I, as I was really feeling like the Lord said, Matthew, I want you to walk the church through the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a letter uh, from Paul the Apostle to this new church in Rome. Now, Paul hadn't uh, officially gone and, and met them yet, but he had heard about them. He had heard that this church was uh, uh, alive, that great things were coming out of it, that it was growing, and he wanted to write a letter to them, and he wanted to encourage them. Now, most likely, where this church, uh, how this church had gotten started was, if you go all the way back to the day of Pentecost, the day that, you know, Peter comes out and filled with the Holy Spirit, gives this amazing first, you know, ever preacher style on the side of the road, you know, call to salvation. And, and, you know, it says that 15, you know, plus hundred people got saved that one day, that very, very first Pentecost Sunday. And I would imagine that it was some of those people, some of those Jews that were, had traveled there, that had lived, that were from Rome, had gone back to Rome and so filled with this newfound faith so filled by the Holy Spirit, started a church. And they started gathering just like we're gathering here this morning. But Paul knew something. Paul knew that, you know what, they need more. They can't, we can't just send them back and, and pat them you know, on the back and say, all right, go get them. That they needed to be encouraged. Because you all know, just like I do, we've all seen movies about Rome. We all know history. If you've ever taken history in high school or college, we all know the history of Rome. It was corrupt. If anything, we as a culture are starting to look more and more like probably how Rome looked back, you know, those 2,000 years ago. And so Paul is wanting to encourage them. Paul is wanting to tell them, look, here's the truth. Here's the good news. And he starts basically by saying, I've got some good news 
and I've got some bad news, and I'm going to give you the bad news first. And last week as we were looking, as we started in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul hits us hard, and he talks about sin. Sin is sin. All have sinned, he says. Everyone has sinned. And we all, and then he just starts attacking and starts talking about how we need faith. That faith is the only thing that's going to save us from this sin. I wanted to briefly just recap, why does God save us through faith alone? I said it last week, but I want to recap it this week. Why faith? Paul last week talked about the only thing that you need to be saved is faith. The only thing you need to do is believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on a cross, that he rose again, that he conquered death, and that he is alive today, and that he sits at the right hand of the Father. That is all you need to do to believe. And that was the good news. That was the gospel message. And Paul is saying, you know, the only thing you need is faith, but why? Why is it that we're the only religion that says, just believe? Just believe in your whole heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, believe. Give your life completely over to God. Why is it that we don't have to, well, you know, why don't we need to just follow these 10 steps to becoming a Christian, you know? Why don't we need to, you know, uh, if, I, if I'm a really, really good person, you know, why don't that, I, I, you know, why is it that it's just faith alone? Well, these are the four things that I believe of why God says the only reason, that, or Paul says the only thing we need is faith. Faith eliminates the pride of human effort because faith is not a deed that we do. Faith eliminates pride of our own human effort because if, if you were to say, well, look at all the great things that I have done, that's what's earned me the right to call myself a Christian, that's what's earned me the right to get into the kingdom of heaven, well, we would be prideful. We would be arrogant. Number two, faith exalts what God has done not what we do. Faith constantly says, look at God. Look what God has done, not look what I've done. Faith admits that we can't keep the law or measure up to God's standards. We need help. Faith says, I can't do this. If I compare my life to what the, you know, the Old Testament law says, I am a mess, I am a wreck, and I need help. Faith is based on our relationship with God, not our performance for God. You see? It's not about God, look at me. And by the way, I've fallen into that trap. You guys, I've been a Christian the majority of my life, and it's very easy to get into this, God, look at how good I've been. Look at all the people that I witnessed to. Look at, you know, the good deeds that I have done. I, I, I gave to a homeless shelter this week. I did this. I did that. God, look at how great I am. That should earn me some brownie points with you. And God says, no, thank you. That's the kind of life you should be living. But that is not why I came and saved you. That is not why I love you. I love you because you are you. Broken in all. Let's get into Romans again. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can start. We're going to go Romans chapter 4, 5, and 6. Now, for those of you who, who were here last week, how did I do? Did I do all right? 
I, I've never, ever done, I'll, I'll say it again, because there's a, there's a lot of people who were here last week that weren't here, or this week that weren't here last week. I have actually never, ever, on a Sunday morning service, done a verse by verse. So it's very, very new to me. So hang in there with me. I'm going to hit it hard and, and, you know, try to be done at a very, very timely matter. But we're going to try to get through Romans 4, 5, and 6. And what I'm encouraging you guys to do this month Will you read through the book of Romans with us? Will you just say, you know what? This month, we are going to read through the book of Romans together. And because I am jumping a little bit, there are uh, verses I just kind of skip over just really for the sake of time, just so that I can kind of really get to the, the meat of what Paul's trying to talk about. Um, I, I did even have someone which I offered, if you have questions, will you let me know what your questions are? You know, wow, Paul's saying this, Why? Or why, you know, I noticed that, you know, you kind of only hit a little bit on this, but why, you know, I would love to have a conversation with you. I would love to take your questions, and, and, and we've got, uh, you know, people in our church that love to get deep into the Word of God, and we could answer your questions if you have them. But I want to encourage you guys, read through the book of Romans. Read Paul's letter, because it just as it is encouraging to me, it'll be encouraging to you, and you will know after reading the book of Romans, you will know the truth. And what does the word of God says the truth does? The truth will set you free. It will set you free, all right? Romans chapter four, are you ready? Here we go. New Living Translation. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. There it is again. Because he believed, God counted him as righteous. Because he believed, that's all God is asking you to do is believe. When, verse 4, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for these whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Have you ever looked at someone and thought they must be way holier than you? Have you ever done that? Have you ever, have you ever walked into you know, a church and you start comparing everybody? Oh, wow, that, I know that person. They're way holier than me. Man, they, they, they seem to float into church. There seems to be a glow about them. You know, there's, and by the way, growing up in church, I, I, I've been in church the majority of my life. And it is very, very easy to put the pastor or pastors or leaders up on pedestals as though they're somehow holier than you. I'm just the parishioner. I'm just the, you know, the, the, the one sitting in the pew. I'm just the one sitting in the chair listening. That guy up there, boy, look at him. You know, look at that worship leader. He must, when he leaves here, he must go home and just worships all week long until service comes in and then he just brings his worship, you know what I mean? It's not true. I'm going to tell you right now, I am just as unholy as you are, and I am just as holy as you are. 
There is nothing better about me just because I'm up here preaching or just because I have the title of pastor in front of me. I am still a sinner. Paul starts some of his letters to the churches off, chief of sinners, that's me. I'm worse than all of y'all. I've sinned bigger than all y'all, right? Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel, the primary audience for Paul as he's writing. He was showing them that even Abraham, the father of, uh, of their entire you know, nation, was counted righteous because of his faith, you guys. His faith. We need to get out of this rut that we're in, that somehow, boy, if I just read my Bible today, God's going to love me a little bit more. Or boy, if I just pray a little bit longer today, God's going to love me a little bit more. No, he already loves you. He already saved you. Even Abraham just believed that God was real. And because of that, God counted him righteous. The joy that comes when we confess our sins to God. The guilty become guiltless. You guys, there's joy. When we come to God and we honestly say, I need you. I can't do this without you. And we confess our sins to him and we give him our whole lives. There's a joy that comes. Not happiness. Happiness is an emotion that's fleeting. But there's a joy A joy that seems to start to stir in your heart that even when you're going through the worst of times, even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you know God is with you. You know that he's walking alongside of you and you know he's going to get you to the other side. That is what's different between us and the world. And that was what Paul was encouraging the church in Rome. Listen, be different. You have joy. Those Romans are running around and they're striving for happiness. But you have a joy. All right, ready to jump back in? Verse 13. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is not to, is not to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. 
In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. There it is again. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Paul uses Abraham to make another point. He's saying, listen, think about it, guys. The the father of, of our nation, Abraham, all he did was believe in God. There was no law yet. But then God promised him something. God said, Abraham, you're going to be the father of an entire nation. But let's remember, Abraham and Sarah could not have children. They could not bear children. And and Abraham, it says, you know, Paul is saying, Abraham believed. Abraham said, you know what? If God said it, then let it be so. How many of us, you guys, and by the way, I'm guilty of this. How many of you, you believe in your own salvation, but sometimes you don't have enough faith for God to provide for you, as, as Joanna shared this morning? How many of you get into those situations and, and, and you just don't have enough this month to make the rent? Or, or you know, you've been out of a job for, you know, or, or you're, you're, you're sick or, you're, you know, how many of us, we have enough faith to believe in our own salvation, but we don't have enough belief to believe that God can even save us from our circumstances or bless us or that even wants to bless us. How can we do that? How can we believe God for one thing on one hand and not believe him for other things on the other hand? And listen, let me explain why this is so important. Abraham's faith wasn't just about him. You see, people were watching and people would read about Abraham all the way until today. And it was because we know if Abraham had faith, then I can have faith. And people are looking at you, especially if you call yourselves a Christian. If you call yourself a a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus, people are looking at you and they're going to say, okay, let's see. Let's see. And if they see you on Facebook, oh my gosh, my world is falling apart. Oh my gosh, you know, I'm dying. I'm crawling. This isn't going to happen and blah, 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 blah. And they say, wow, I thought you're supposed to be one of those people that got a lot of faith. Now, by the way, Let me just say, it's okay to feel those things. I do too, okay? It's okay in the privacy of your own home or the privacy in your own bedroom to lament to God. Why? Why have you forsaken me, Lord? You know what I mean? And then, of course, he always comes in and in the 11th hour, saves the day, and once again, I put my foot in my mouth and say, forgive me, Lord, that I doubted you once again. But you guys... Our faith, and when we grow our faith, and I say grow because it's something that just happens. It's something that daily we need to grow. People are watching you, and they're going to see how you handle your situation. And if they look at you and they say, you know what? If they can believe, then so can I. If they can get through, boy, I watched them go through the valley of the shadow of death, and they came out on the other side, then their God must be real. It's not just about us having faith for ourselves. It's us having faith 
for the world to see. The promise or the covenant that God made with Abraham also started the entire world, also stated, I'm sorry, stated that the entire world would be blessed through him. This was fulfilled when Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, died for the whole world's sins. And listen, you guys, it continues on through us. When you bring the good news to somebody, you are fulfilling the promise that God gave to Abraham. I can connect the dots for you. God made that promise to Abraham. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. We are all now, because of what Jesus has done, we are all now brought into that family. We are, have been now grafted. The Bible even uses the term grafted in to that family. We all now become a part, which means we are now under that same promise, that same covenant, not only offered to you, but you are obligated to offer it to the next person. All right. Romans 5, one chapter down today. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You guys, again, faith brings joy. Faith brings joy. Undeserved privilege. You did not deserve it. You did not earn it. But it was given to you freely. We need to understand that. We need to walk in that. Not not as a a way to shame ourselves or, you know, wow, I'm such a bad person and thank God, you know, I got this free pass into heaven. No, to be able to walk in humility, to be able to, when I'm ministering to someone else who's broken, that I don't ever think that I'm better than they are, that I don't ever look at somebody else and think I am higher than they are because I received the same undeserved privilege that they are offered. Do you get it? It puts us all on the same plane. Confidently and joyfully look forward. Confidently and joyfully look forward. I'm going to be very honest with you. In our culture today and everything that I see on the news and everything that's going on around me and, and all that the world is trying to do to pull on me and distract me, and it is not easy to wake up every morning confidently and joyfully, all right? I don't know about you, but I usually wake up and the first thing I need is a cup of coffee, all right? Thank you, Jess, thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, thank, thank you, Aunt Shannon, thank you. I don't wake up joyfully and confidently, but, but what Paul's trying to say is if we really think about it, you guys, if we really, really think about where our future lies, you can have that. You can be confident. You can be joyful. All right, verse three in Romans chapter five. You hanging in there with me? We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. 
count it all joy, brother. Count it all joy. I have a story about that. My pastor friend of mine was going through a terrible, terrible time of his life. He had just gone through a divorce, and he was broken, and he went to church and was literally kind of crying on the front pew and, you know, worship service. And this woman, uh, you know, wiser, older woman walks up and just simply says to him, count it all joy, brother. Count it all joy. And he said he wanted to punch her in the face. (laughs) By the way, this is a, a guy who's a pastor now. Told me this story. He goes, I wanted to punch her in the face. Let me just say, when someone's at their lowest, don't quote this scripture, uh, you know, when it says, when Paul says, we can rejoice when we run into problems, you know, go get them, you're going to be great. You know what I mean? Just sit there and pat them on the back and let them know you're there. But, but, those, for those of us who are not, you know, broken on the front uh, right now, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Listen, you guys, Jesus never promised that this world was going to be easy. In fact, he even warns us, listen, you're going to face trials in this world. You're going to. You are going to face adversity. You are going to suffer in this world. But what does he say? He told us not to worry because he has overcome the world. That's where our faith and our hope lie. You guys, we need endurance to finish this race. And I believe that this is what the church of today is lacking. It's lacking that endurance. It's lacking that, you know, I'm going to be able to push through. I'm going to be able to run the race, to fight the good fight, to stand up when times are tough. So many Christians get knocked down. You know, the minute an obstacle comes along, they fall apart. And it's because they do not have the endurance. But let me explain to you something. Endurance only comes through going through difficult times. I do not want to go to the gym. I only start going to the gym when I start huffing and puffing, walking from my back door to my front door. I realize, oh my gosh, I need to do something about this. When I start picking up my daughter and I can only throw her up in the air two times and I'm like, I'm done. Why do we wait? Why, why do we wait until struggles? But Paul is saying, listen, when you're in those difficult times, boy, he said, let it strengthen you. Build that endurance in you to push through, to fight on. Because when we do that, it develops strength of character and strength of character character, confident in the hope of our salvation. You guys, it's doing something. Don't pull the ripcord. Don't say I'm out. Don't say I'm done. Don't throw in the towel. All right, verse six. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I have a question for you. Who would you lay your life down for? I'll be honest. 
I would only really lay my life down for some family and friends, okay? I have a circle of people. You start getting outside of that circle and you're on your own, all right? But think about this. Christ died for you when you were still a sinner, when you were dirty, when you were broken, when you were filthy, when you were considered trash, Christ died for you. That is love. Because to be honest with you, I wouldn't necessarily lay down my life for just anyone. And I'm, I'm willing to bet most of you in here, there's a few holy people in here, a couple, maybe one. But I would guarantee that you would agree with me. Yeah, there's some people, boy, they're good luck. But yet Christ died and laid down his life even when we were still sinful. Verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. There it is. Everyone. All of us. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because they were not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace as his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Listen, it has to be received. Paul says that it's a free gift, but there is action on our parts. It has to be received. It has to be received, but when we receive it, when we believe, as Paul says over and over and over again, when we have faith, we will triumph over sin. Verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will become righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here, Paul compares Jesus to Adam. And he said, because of one man, all of us are now born into sin. But because of this other man, Jesus, the Son of God, all of us have been forgiven sin. Now let me also say this. If one man's sin can affect us all, 
then that means our sin affects more than just us. So the next time that you're, you know, walking down that path and you're starting to make decisions and, and you're starting to, you know, fall away, remember that your sin does not just affect you. Just as Adam's sin didn't just affect him, it affects us still even to this day. That blows my mind that because of one man's action, that is how strong sin is. That is how potent Sin is. That is how disgusting and how bad sin is. But how even more powerful love is. Forgiveness of sin. And that one would come and lay down his life. One perfect one. And stand in your place who took the sin of the world. Starting from Adam all the way until he comes back. Took the sin of the world upon his shoulders. Wow, right? Okay, Romans 6. Whew. I'm going to try to speed this up. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not, you numbskulls. I almost said something else my mom used to say. And I had to stop myself about... Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And Jesus, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You guys, this is why we do baptism. This is why we encourage you to be baptized. There's, there's no salvation in the actual act of baptism. It is a symbol, though, of us dying with Christ and us resurrecting with Christ. And if you have never, ever been baptized before, if you have never, ever been baptized in the submersion of water, I encourage you to do it. In fact, we're going to be doing a baptism on the last Saturday of this month. And if you want to be baptized, if you want to show that you have died with Christ and that you are alive in him again, we will baptize you this month. You can just let us know. Verse 12, we're going to jump down. I'm speeding through. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve in. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Paul says, listen, Paul says we have new life. That we become new creations. Jesus said that, you know, there's even this term that we are born again. You know, one of, the, uh, one of these uh, guys came up to Jesus one day and he goes, what do you mean I have to be born again? Do you have to crawl back into my mother's womb? And he said, no, it's not a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. The spirit man inside of you is reborn. And technically, to be honest with you, before it was dead. But now it is reborn. So, so let me just tell this one thing. Someone who comes to you and says, well, I was born that way. Jesus comes to give us new life. I used to, I used to use the excuse, you know, I, I, in early on in my marriage, and, and I'll be very, very honest, I was a hothead. I, I, was, I still am, but I'm getting better. 
But boy, man, I could jump into a fight, uh, an argument, I mean, I could jump into a fight quick. And I used to say, oh, I'm just passionate, and I'm just because I was born Italian. You just got to deal with me. That's just the way I am. I'm loud. I'm blah, 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 you know, all this. And it's because I was Italian. Let me tell you something. I am a new creation. I have been born again. The old man has died. And now there's new life. I am, I am a new creation. I don't have to be that. I don't have to, you know, use the excuse, well, I was born that way, or I was this, or it was, you know, I was born into this type of family, or I was this. I am a new creation. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. All right, home stretch. This is it. Verse 15. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. He says it again. Numbskulls. Don't you realize that you became the slaves of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you, you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from that power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, listen, you're a slave to something. You're a slave to something. You're, you're not free. If you think that you're walking around free, you're not. You're either a slave to sin, a slave to your own desires, a slave to money, a slave to overworking, a slave to, you know, you, you put it in there, a slave to materialism, a slave to pride, a slave to self. You're a slave to something. Real quick story. My wife, anybody ever binged watch anything? Anybody ever done the whole binge watching thing? Okay. It's, it's a very, very uh, small illustration, not necessarily a great one, but you know that poll of you're watching? So Sheila and I binged watch our very, very first time a show called Alias. Do you guys remember the show Alias? Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner, someone said, you've got to watch Alias. It was already in its like second or third season, but we had never seen it. So we went down to Blockbuster and rented, because there was no Netflix or anything like that, we went down to Blockbuster and rented the very first season of Alias, thinking like, well, we'll just take all week and we'll watch the, you know, first season. We watched it in two days, okay? 24 episodes in two days. Now, I will say this, this was pre-Bella, okay? So we weren't neglecting anything. We weren't shirking our duties as parents, you know? We weren't just throwing a bottle and, you know, leaving her in the bedroom or something like that. This was before Bella, before Nora, before, but Sheila and I, we were young, and, and to be honest with you, we blew an entire weekend watching Alias. But 
I felt that pull when an episode would end and it leaves on that cliffhanger and you start to think, should, I, should we eat food or watch another episode? <laughs> and you decide to watch another episode? You know, when you pause and you go, should we go to the restroom or watch another episode? And we decide to watch another episode? That we did that over and over and we kept looking at each other should we stop now no let's not stop we watched the entire in two days saturday and sunday we even skipped church <laughs> i was not on staff i was not on staff anywhere <laughs> terrible but that pull right something had us something we were a slave to alias for two days all right we were a slave. You're a slave to something. Someone's got you. Something, and I, I would rather that pull be from God. I would rather that desire to be, you know what? I'm going to spend two days deciding whether I'm going to eat or spend time. No, but I'm going to spend two days seeking the Lord. I'm going to spend two days just, you know what? You're a slave to something. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I want to ask a quick question. It's the most important question. And it's just the point that Paul is trying to make. But I want to ask, if there is anybody in here and you have never ever said, I believe in who Jesus Christ is. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he came to this earth. I believe he died on a cross for my sins. And you, you, you would just be straight honest and saying, you know what, today, I believe. Because all God is asking you to do is have faith. There is nothing that you can do to earn it. There is, in fact, nothing you will ever be able to do except believe, except have faith in him. And if you would like to make that commitment for the very, very first time this morning, will you just simply, in the privacy of this moment, will you just simply raise your hand so that I can see so that I can pray with you, so I can believe with you, I can encourage you. And if you would also be so bold, and you would say, you know what, Pastor Matthew, I, I have believed, but that belief has kind of run cold. I struggle with that belief, but today I just simply want to renew that faith, renew that belief in who Jesus Christ is. I've been distant and I don't want to be distant any longer. I want to persevere, as Paul says. I want to run the race. I want to fight the good fight. I want to hang in there. And if that would be you, will you just simply raise your hand as just a sign of recommitment to the Lord? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. Father God, we thank you for this day. We praise your holy name. All we have to do is have faith. Faith in, us, in our salvation. Faith in the great things that you're going to do for us. I just want to take a brief moment. I just felt like the Lord was saying, there's someone in here, and, and you definitely believe 100% that you're saved. But you do struggle with the faith that God wants to do good things for you. And I felt like he just wanted me to let you know he sees every single thing. He sees your every tear. He hears your every cry. 
He knows the thoughts that you think. He has already gone before you. He loves you. He cares about you. He's not asking you to be perfect. What he's asking you is to simply believe in him and believe that he will come through for you and that he wants to bless you. He wants to provide for you, to take care of your children. You just simply need to believe this morning that God is good. That he's good. And that he's your Abba Father. Thank you, Jesus.